I got my ticket for the long way round. Two bottle whiskey for the way. And I sure would like some sweet company. And I'm leaving tomorrow, what do you say? What am I most proud of? <laughs> Not losing myself in the process of everything that I've been through. To hold on to my empathy and my kindness when the world has been so unempathetic and unkind to me, it has been very challenging and I'm very proud of myself for being able to do that. Hello, this is Fee and you're listening to Coffee and Banter, my podcast about stories of grit and resilience. Today I'm speaking to Saza. Saza is a second year student at the Darden School of Business. We'll be talking about her journey from growing up in an abusive household in Nepal to life as an immigrant in a top business school in the United States. I've really had a good experience listening to and talking to Saz, and I hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I did. Hey Saz, I'm super excited to have you join me today, just getting to know you a little better and chatting about your experiences. I'm just very happy and I feel very special being here with you. And I'm happy to share whatever you guys want to know about me today. Let's get started with some introduction. So let's start with who I am. So my name is Saza Dahal and I am a immigrant living here in the United States. I go to Darden School of Business. I'm a second year MBA. I was born and raised in Kathmandu, Nepal. I was raised mostly in a single parent household, so raised by my single mother. I have a younger sibling that I grew up with who I love very much. She's about to go to college at this point and I'm very excited for her. At this point in time, I live in the United States by myself. I've been here on my own, so I'm the first generation to make it here. And in this crazy little world, trying to survive, trying to fight, trying to make my way for myself. Let's jump right in. Can you talk a little bit about your early days? Do you want to go back there and let's start from there? Um, maybe just tell me a little bit about like your life growing up as a child. What were some of the aspirations you had? What were some of the conditions you had to live that you feel like shaped you as a person? Yeah, so uh, I, will, I, will, I will break my life down into two parts. So it was pre-second grade and post-second grade because that was a very transformational year for me. Uh, so before second grade, I wanted to be the Miss Universe. I wanted to be an astronaut. I wanted to be everything that I could see on television. That if it, if it exists, I can be it and I'm going to be it. And there was this sense of like, I can conquer the world attitude. I was a very competitive child. I was very active in sports and like 
it was there was not really sports for women for where I come from but you could go outside and play and I played rough and I was just a regular kid with filled with hopes and dreams um, and I think that part of that stayed with me throughout my years but after second grade that's the first t- time I realized that um, that's the first time I was um, severely physically abused And so up until second grade, I think I was I had a pretty good life. And then after that, I recognized that I was in an abusive household. My mom had been hiding a lot of things from me and thank God for that. But uh, now I was fully exposed to that. I was raised by a very abusive dad who routinely it would end up putting us in a situation where it was life-threatening. I never knew what, when or where I would be alive or what my life is going to look like to the point that I had blood clots all over my body and I couldn't go to school. I was immobilized for roughly two weeks. Um, and when I did, I had to wear clothes, um, sweater in, the, in a hot summer day to hide all the bruises. Um, and then I was told not to tell people what went on in the house and why I was I didn't go to school. Uh, so that, that was the first time I experienced shame, right? And I think when shame enters the life of a developing child, that fundamentally alters the, the thought process of how they perceive the world, how they're going to approach the world. And the more you expose a child to shame, the harder they're adult life experience becomes, I think. The concept of shame is one I find particularly very interesting, especially its impact on the human experience. There are many books that go into it in detail. Uh, One of those that I recommend is called The Soul of Shame by Kurt Thompson. At some point, we recognized that my mom, me, and my sister, that we had to leave our dad because we could die. And we did. There's no financial independence for women in our country. My mother was not entitled to inheritance from her family because she's a woman. And only men were entitled to family inheritance. That meant economic instability our entire life. She didn't finish high school because her education wasn't as important as men. And she never could get a job because she was physically battered to the point that she had lots of issues with her body and she had to take care of the house as well. And it was this scarcity that was very present, poverty very present, abuse very present, mental illness very present, and that those were the cards that I was dealt with. Oh dear, that sounds like a really rough experience for a child. How did you get through it? One thing I noticed in this mixed of unpredictability is that I could rely on people's breath. And this is something that helped me survive back then and helps me do well today, is if I can get someone to breathe easily, they're willing to listen to me and I'm safe. So on days when people breathe easily, I can predict that if I go to bed, I'll probably won't be awakened in the middle of the night with some kind of violence, that I can just go to bed. 
that helped me survive along with education. That's interesting. Let's talk about the role education played here. The one thing that I had to focus on was academics. I was considered gifted. I was considered smart and talented. And that was a place where I could channel all my energy. And that was a place where if I did well, I got more opportunities. In Nepal, like when I was growing up, there was no such thing as like a gifted child program or a separate track for students who were identified academically inclined or something, right? So what they did was when they recognized somebody uh, was performing at a higher level than they should, they would just make those kids skip a grade. What ended up happening is I skipped two different grades, so like kindergarten, I think, and first standard. I ended up in a position where I was consistently performing well, right? And even though I was the youngest. And I always had this like, in a way, celebration of people around me that, oh, Saz is so smart and she's so talented. And another way, a lot of pressure as well, that like you need to perform in all of this, right? And I think I internalized that growing up a lot. For better or worse, that became like a tool that helped me overcome the social challenges that I was facing. I went to a top private school in Nepal and got scholarships throughout the years to keep doing that. And that allowed me to build myself and make myself capable enough that I believed from an early age that one day I'm going to get out of an abusive home. I'm going to get out of abuse and I'm going to create a life that's just defined by me, that I'm going to write my destiny. And the only reason I had any ounce of self-esteem to believe that was because of academics and because of education. So I value it so, so profoundly. And I, I try to do everything in my power to make sure that um, I educate one more kid that I come across, that I help somehow in this in this realm. That's awesome. Um, that's something that really resonates with me because I'm pretty much in the same space um, with education. Like I keep looking at the world and for me, one of the big things is I don't think uh, the outcomes for children should be determined by where they were born or how they were born. And, you know, wanting to level that playing field a little bit is definitely something that is close to my heart. Of course. And there's a there's there's almost a, like a survivor guilt, too. I don't I don't know if you feel that, but I definitely do. I recognize that there are people who are just as smart, if not smarter than me, who are in situations like me or worse than me. And they never had that opportunity that I did, you know? There's a level of luck there too that I, I cannot deny it, it's there. And there, with, the, with luck, you still have to put in the work yourself, right? So it can't be one without the other, but there is an element of luck. And so just recognizing that gives me this humility that if there was luck involved and if I'm here, uh, then what's the point of my life, right? What am I gonna do with what has been done to me? And if I'm going to do nothing, then what's the point of survival? So why did I survive? And I think, I don't know if that's survivor's guilt or that's mission. Like, I don't know what you would call that, but that's that's very key in driving my decisions in life and just, just pushing myself to do better and to be better.
for those who know me, one of my favorite side projects is an annual book drive that I run with friends and family where we raise funds to buy school books and storybooks for underprivileged kids in Nigeria. This is a project that is really dear to my heart and one that I hope to keep expanding over the years. Um, and then I think in after high school, when I came to United States and I, for the first time in my life, I felt that I found freedom. I found safety. I found a place that I can call home, uh, where I wasn't tolerated, but I was accepted and I was loved. I think I allowed myself to unlearn some of those things, unlearn the shame and reparent myself. That's awesome. The concept of reparenting sounds really interesting. Let's chat a little more about that. Yes. So, I mean, it's a very simple concept. I came across it when I read this book, Revolution from Within by Gloria Steinem. And she talks about reparenting herself. um, And it was very relatable to me. Essentially, when I did not have the kind of parents that I should have had to become a healthy, fully functioning adult. Uh, And and the, the, the things that you learn from having a good parent are very important because otherwise, when I'm triggered as an adult, um, for some kind of re- reason, like it puts me back into that same mentality um, that I was when I was a child, right? Um, so imagine like not, ha- not having, a, having a fight with your partner and feeling unseen or unheard or misunderstood and recognizing that when I was a kid, I was I felt unseen, unheard, misunderstood my whole life. And when that happened, I was also gaslighted. So now when I feel unseen, unheard, what is my natural reaction to do is be very defensive and assume that the other person is going to gaslight me because that's what happened my whole life. So if a child was doing that, right? So if like five or six-year-old me was doing that, an ideal parent should have sat me down calmed me down and said this is not the same situation these are different situations and let me help you understand this let me help you understand how to voice yourself how to speak your truth in a healthy comfortable manner how to not freak out how to manage yourself your emotions and those around you and that wasn't done to me nobody taught me that so today when I have some kind of trigger where I recognize that you know what I I'm having a strong emotional reaction to this or I'm having a very low emotional reaction to this when I should have more then I just meditate and I talk to myself I ask Saza what was that like what happened what did you go through how are you feeling and it's like talking to that inner child in me that was that's still stuck at like eight years old and nine years old and it's trying to repeat that that learned behavior and and telling that version of me what should have been told and being there for myself the way somebody should have been there for me when I was growing up. It's not always as a result of some kind of trigger or something that went wrong that I get to that point. It's also proactive. I also get there through active meditation of my own and through therapy. But this approach is basically helping me rewire myself and become a more sorted out person, become a more self-aware person, become a more kind person, and the kind of person that I, I want to be.
So you talked about like coming here for college. Uh, how was that journey for you? Because it sounds like, you know, in the midst of where you were growing and, and the experiences you've had, that probably wasn't an option on the table. How did you navigate that journey and find yourself here? Delusion. <laughs> I never, I never, ever, ever questioned that that was not on the table for me. I didn't know how. There was no good reason for me to believe that I could achieve that. Uh, but without a shadow of a doubt in my mind, I said, I'm going to America because I knew of somebody who had gone to America and who had bettered their life as a result of that. Um, and so I was like, that's what I'm going to do. And everything I learned about America, right, was like practically through Hollywood. And it's this land of freedom. It's this land of liberty and a land of immigrants where people can come and dream and hope and achieve and just aspire to be what they wanted to be. So there's this one just like stubbornness and delusion to say that I don't care how I'm going to make this happen. And then thankfully, I think the universe listened to that and like one way opened up and another door opened up and another door opened up. And one time I remember like when applying for um, the schools here, uh, you have to pay application fees, right? Um, $100 in application fees is 10,000 rupees in Nepal. Like I don't have that. Uh, but thankfully at that point in time, um, my stepdad now, uh, who was dating my mom at the time, uh, he works in export business. Uh, and so he had some 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 uh, franc currency to exchange into NRS. And he asked me to go to the bank and basically, you know, do that, do that exchange for him. Um, and because he was busy. So I was like, yeah, sure. I took the money. But I did not exchange it that day. I held it on. I held on to it for a couple of days, and then I went to the bank, and then I made that exchange. And in return, like I got like $150 or something, so I could apply to like one or two more colleges. Like I didn't apply to big colleges because if I can't put all my eggs in one basket, so I went to a smaller state university where I knew I would get good scholarship, where I knew that I'm definitely going to get accepted. Uh, my SAT grades would be great. Like. Uh, so I sort of played that game um, and I ended up at Angelo State University in San Angelo, Texas. Um, honestly, one of the best things probably that could have happened to me was I, I love that institution and what it has done to me because without it, I wouldn't be here today. Uh, but that's how that thought process went. Awesome. And when you moved here, um, I can imagine that you're moving with, you know, I know when I moved here, like there was so much of adjusting to do and learning and unlearning. How was that journey for you? Honestly, pretty easy. It was pretty easy because the things that I had to overcome to be here were so drastic and so wild that any adjustment was like nothing, you know? Like, I'm sure, I mean, there were some adjustments to be made for sure, but like my bigger challenge wasn't like learning the Southern hospitality or, you know, uh, navigating the roads in America or, or the systems here. It was more, I had a huge phobia from dogs when I came here and it was like uh, as a result of the childhood that I had. So I had to sit down with a therapist and work on exposure therapy to work through that. And today I don't have that. 
that that's the kind of unlearning that I had to do. The voice that I heard growing up, right, and even the academic institution, it's very critical, especially towards women. I think it's very harsh and critical. So when I speak to myself, when my when I have an internal dialogue, that's very hard and that's very critical. And so when I translate that to somebody that I love and that somebody that I'm trying to help, whether it's a friend or a partner, that can also be harsh and critical. And America is a very polite society. So that harsh and critical voice is not seen very well here. You have to be very nice here, I think much more so than in our cultures. And like all of these things had to be translated. But compared to like what I had to go through, I just never felt like it was much of a hassle because I'm just I was just so grateful to be here in the first place. And I'm still in that journey. But along that process, I think I achieved a couple of different little things where I've made some strides. And I recognize that it's not, it's on in the large context, these are generational strides that I made um, to be able to be here in the first generation immigrant, to be able to graduate college, to get an MBA from a top program, to be making six figures at 25. Like all of these things takes multiple generations for people to achieve. And I recognize that I've been able to do that and that I don't want to diminish that. But then I also see how much more there is to do. And that's sort of where I am right now is like looking ahead and saying, here are all the peaks I want to climb. Awesome. That's really awesome. Let's talk a bit about your experience in business school and how your past has helped shape your experience there, but also what parts of that experience really stand out in your mind when you when you think about it. Yes. So business school has been very transformative for me. It has made me aware of what there is in the world to achieve, what I could achieve. And also it has made me very aware of where my limitations are and what I still need to learn learn about and where I still need to grow. Academically, like I have learned more in the past two years than I probably did in the last five years because it's so rigorous and so intense. I'm surrounded by the smartest people in the world and it's just amazing to be able to have this level of conversation and to be on this wavelength, which is really hard to find in a regular outside world. But then at the same time, I'm also very aware of how institutions like business schools, like particularly the business school that I went to in was built and what the assumptions were when these scenarios were built because historically business school was not built for women and women of color in particular they built it for white men although decades have passed i can see that that assumption has a lot of an impact even today in the experiences that i have and i think the experience that women of color who come from poverty would have to go through and going into business school People like me who make it here are exceptions. I came here with like no savings, with one year of full-time work experience and, you know, still dealing with total poverty issue while living in a first world country. And I was entirely on student loans. And I don't think that's the assumption in business schools. The assumption is that you come from some level of wealth, you have some levels of savings. And so the experiences designed are around that, whether that be like a ski trip or a career trek and that was that was a bigger culture shock than anything I'd experienced before. 
that's interesting and and it's something that i've also like thought about a little bit but i think now that you say it, the way that you do it it actually resonates because i remember being in business school and just being like i'm not gonna go to that because i can't afford to and i'm not gonna feel bad about it because you know it's what it is yeah and i don't think students are equipped to have these conversations though there's a lot of shame associated with saying i can't do this because i cannot afford it the expectation is you're going to make a lot of money right and we equate wealth with success so there's a shame associated with acknowledging that i don't have wealth because that means that i am not successful and if i'm not successful am i credible enough to be here that's not like a conscious thought process i don't think but i think that is the underlying unspoken assumption that carries on which prevents people like me to even acknowledge our realities here and to bring our full selves to the table my last question here is uh, what are you most proud of what am i most proud of <laughs> um not losing myself in the process of everything that I've been through. I recognize that like it is statistically unlikely to for somebody with my experiences to even graduate college um to be to hold on to my empathy and my kindness when the world has been so unempathetic and unkind to me. It is very challenging to trust and to love when your trust and love trust has been fundamentally broken in so many ways and somehow like i have clenched through my teeth to hold on to this core of who i am who i believe wants to be kind and wants to be empathetic and wants to be exceptional and wants to be excellent and all the good things that can be and just holding on to that and carrying that with me through business school through life in America where like you know a lot of these these virtues that i come from they they're not also also accepted in um in 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 a white america for example um uh, but to hold on to all of that no matter the circumstance it has been very challenging and i'm very proud of myself for being able to do that My tenth question. You ready? So it's gonna be ten rapid fire questions. Say the first thing that comes to mind. Number one, something to drink. Water. Song on repeat. Song on repeat. Ooh, that's hard. Anything by A. R. Rahman. Uh, what's a meal that might save your life? Nepali food, homemade Nepali rice, lentil soup, uh, curry, just homemade Nepali food. Are you a good cook? Yes. Okay. What's your favorite thing to do? What's my favorite thing to do? Uh, be outdoors and be in nature. What's something you'd never do again? Something I would never do again. Try to ride a motorcycle down the hill when I know that my legs aren't long enough to touch the ground. <laughs> That's like a story that we should definitely go into. I have I have scarred knees from that experience and somebody's bike did not motorcycle was not not pretty afterwards. <laughs> okay. Uh who's your celebrity crush? 
Chris Evans. Nice. Humble brag. For me, humble brag. Oh, that's hard. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure my friends will say that I brag about things. Humble brag. I am the youngest person in、uh, Darden, graduating、uh, at 25 with with my MBA. Awesome. That's something to brag about for sure. <laughs> uh, okay, so tell us a little secret. This is also tough. I'm sorry. I know this is supposed to be rapid fire. Tell you a little secret. I have these like little points on my body, so like in my middle of my forehead and、uh, on my foot, where like every time I, if anybody like presses on it, I yawn, and I can fall asleep within like minutes if somebody keeps like rubbing my temple. Or like keeps like pressing this one spot on my feet, like I'll just keep yawning until I fall asleep. Oh wow! Up there. Okay. What's one hobby you picked up during COVID? Hobby I picked up during COVID. I don't think I picked it up during COVID, but that's been like、uh, I, I sing, and、uh, just singing every day, even when if it's in the shower, if it's in the car, whatever that is. It's how I connect to my soul, and I think that's helped a lot during COVID to to stay grounded. Are you a good singer? I try. You might say so. I don't know. <laughs> I'm so tempted to ask you to sing something right now. <laughs> is is that the next question? No, the last question is um, what's a topic that we shouldn't get you started on? Don't get me started on topic.、Um, financial empowerment for women of color. Yes. Okay. That's my last question. And then the "Do you want to sing?" question comes. <laughs> We can. Yeah. Would you? Would you? Okay. Let me. I should have did karaoke last night, so this is top of mind. I don't know if you want to include this in the podcast or not, but I'll sing a verse. I got my ticket for the long way round, two bottle whiskey for the way, and I sure would like some sweet company. And I'm leaving tomorrow. What do you say? When I'm gone, when I'm gone, you're gonna miss me when I'm gone. You're gonna miss me by my walk. You're gonna miss me by my talk. Oh, you're gonna miss me when I'm gone. And that's a song I really like. Like I love that song. We're gonna have to pick a better one. Yeah, it's the lyrics make me think of like moving to California because it talks about the mountains and the rivers and the sights to make you shiver. Thanks, Zaza. This brings us to the end of our time together. Thank you so much for sitting with me today and for sharing your story with us. And I wish you all the best in your future endeavors. And, and of course, like as you move to California, I hope you have all the experiences that you're hoping to have. But I also hope that you have the kind of life that you're looking for there. But thank you so much, Vasai, for like、um, you know, like speaking to me, for、uh, allowing me into your podcast, and I hope that helped. Uh, I can't wait to hear the final product. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Coffee and Banter. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Once again, my name is Fee, and I look forward to sharing the next episode with you in the next few weeks. Be good to yourself, 
and to those around you.